Hi there, members, visitors, and friends. Welcome to End the Church Set, a podcast where we discuss issues and insights on how the body and the members can interact in ways that promote spiritual, mental, emotional, and relational well-being. I am Dr. Monique smith Gadsden, your host for this podcast. I am a licensed clinician. However, this podcast is not intended to serve as therapy. We encourage you to engage in your own personal counseling. So come on in and take a seat on any pew you choose. We hope that your time here will leave you declaring with a hearty and resounding amen. All right. Well, hello, everyone. We are back today and we have a very special guest with us today. And he is no stranger to the podcast. He's been with us before. Um, his, uh, previous episode with us has been one of our most downloaded ones. So he has a wealth of information to share with us. And so we're so glad to welcome him back. So Dr. Lyles, thank you for being, um, well, coming back to the podcast to talk with us a little bit today. Thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. So if you will, will you please let people who are not familiar with you, will you just introduce yourself? to them, let them know who you are and all of the wonderful, wonderful things you've been doing over the years. Um, too many years. I've been, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a board certified psychiatrist uh, for 39 years, uh, practicing in Atlanta, um, um, a few more years before I retire, um, have been involved in all types of clinical settings from prisons to community mental health centers to academic environments to being a consult psychiatrist at a big general hospital downtown and been in private practice uh, most recently, working mainly with adults. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and I know the other thing your listeners probably ought to know to contrast that is I also uh, have been a Christian longer than I've been a psychiatrist and taught high school Sunday school for 27 years. Wow. That's new to me. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. <laughs> wow. Okay. High school, Sunday school. That's a, a special bunch because most high schoolers, you know, I, I remember way back in my day and I know, you know, as recent as when my girls were high schoolers are always trying to get out of Sunday school. So that's uh-huh. interesting to know. Okay. Wow. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. You have been a Christian and um, and that's how I have become familiar with you, just your work that you have done um, in the, the world of, of psychiatry, um, mental health, and um, faith-based. And so that's what we've talked about before. That's what we're going to talk about today. Originally, when you were here with us on the podcast, back right in the middle of, or at the beginning of, I do believe, the pandemic, and so a lot of our conversation at that point was um, centered around that. Um, I think that we are still dealing with some of those effects. I know you talked about that even then, that there were a lot of things that were coming and that the church needed to be prepared. We can just start right here to kind of jumpstart our conversation. How do you think things are now? You know, we're three years I say still into the pandemic. I know some people say post-pandemic, um, you know, people are still being impacted by, by this uh, pandemic. So I, I kind of like to say we're still in it. But how do you think we are doing in terms of church, um, kind of responding to some of these mental health needs? We talked about what would be coming because of the pandemic. So where we are in time, 
What has just been your assessment? What are your thoughts about where we are now? Uh, the pandemic, as I said earlier, I've been a psychiatrist in uh, 39 years. The last three years have been the worst three years of my professional life. Uh, I have had patients that were doing well fall totally apart because mm -hmm. of the ramifications of the pandemic, the, the separation and the social, social isolation that people went through uh, during this period of time. And then the nervousness about getting back together again mm -hmm. uh, as People, people need each other. There was a study done uh, at Harvard recently that showed that the biggest driver of happiness is relationships, having mm -hmm. relationships in your life. And the thing that, you know, besides people dying, I, I lost two of my best friends during the pandemic, one from the virus and one died in the hospital alone with nobody able to visit him from cancer mm -hmm. uh, because of the virus. Uh, but you know, aside from all the, the losses, aside from all of the job-related and financial issues, the separation, the lack of relationships that got challenged by this, people who took for granted going to church, being in a Sunday school class, being in the choir, uh, uh, you know, doing things with you know, their uh, small groups, they lost all that. And while Zoom has been a lifesaver, Zoom isn't the same as sharing air with somebody. Zoom can't hold your hand. Zoom can't hug you. Zoom can't cry with you. Zoom can't sit there and share from your heart about what God did in your life from the scripture to encourage you. Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit, but it's not mm -hmm. the same. And mm -hmm. people missed that and it impacted their mental health horribly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so as some churches were, or, you know, most everything now is kind of opened back up. Um, and I know we talked about even then, you know, the church just really needed to be prepared to deal with all of these things that were, were coming. You had told the story about your mom and growing up and the hard times that you all experienced and that your mom had to go to the church to seek out assistance. And so you were even talking then about how people come to the church and looking to the church for assistance. Where do you think the church has kind of, um, or maybe I should say, how do you think the church has done post-pandemic, these last three years, you're talking about the social iso social isolation and those consequences. So how do you think the church has um, kind of filled that void or healed that need thus far? Oh, I think I've seen people, uh, there isn't one, the church per se, because people have done so many different things. Mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic, I, I visited uh, 13 different churches during the pandemic, during the heart of the pandemic. And there mm -hmm. were churches that met in the parking lot uh, outside mm -hmm. so they could have under tents. There were churches that people pulled up like a drive-in movie theater and, mm -hmm. and listened to the preacher out in the parking lot. Uh, there mm -hmm. were churches that got together in parks to have uh, uh, a fellowship group going out of their way to try to find a way for people to be able to connect in a safe manner and to be able to see each other in a safe manner. The thing that broke my heart is that a lot of churches just basically tried to dot the I's and cross the T's and keeping the minimum together. We're just trying to have a service on Zoom on Sunday and maybe a Bible study during the week. And the, the people who suffered the most during the pandemic were young people, uh, you know, teenagers, children, young adults. 
And a lot of these programs didn't include them. Mm-hmm. And now that churches are starting to come back together, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people found during the pandemic is who their friends really were. I mean, mm-hmm. who's really in your corner? Who's really got your back? If mm-hmm. you were afraid to go to the grocery store and couldn't afford to pay for Instacart, who was willing to put on two masks and go buy some groceries for you? You know, who was willing to give you a ride in their car? Mm-hmm. Um, who really was going to have your back? And if people in the church demonstrated they did not have your back, not mm-hmm. in the church, well, they've been opening up for a while, some of these people didn't come back. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm be honest with you, I don't blame them. Because if it's just going to be about a ritual and a show and not about people really being committed to helping each other and doing life together, then that's not really the church. The church is doing is people doing life together and having each other's back. And the pandemic gave us an opportunity to do that. And I have a lot of patients, some of whom their churches were marvelous, some of whom their churches went through the motions. Mm. Nobody called, nobody wrote. Nobody even sent a text or an email. And some of these old, uh, no, old people sat in their houses and, and looked at TV and died of loneliness. So there's something to be, to be learned from the pandemic in terms of what churches ought to be about. Uh, the question I would have for your listeners, for their churches, the church they go to, what did your church do to touch the people that were in your church during the pandemic? What can your church, what your church need to learn that they need to do to touch people? By touch, calling people, visiting people, inviting people, uh, meeting people. But relationships are so important. That's why you have a church. Otherwise, everybody can just be long rangers and just pray and read their Bible and stay to themselves. Mm-hmm. That's not how Jesus said it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Have yeah. I, wow. Have, have I ever told you my favorite part of the Bible since I'm a Sunday school teacher? No, 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 no. My favorite part of the Bible is a part that's not really documented. Hmm. And I gave a talk at a Bible college a few weeks ago, and I told them, said, don't y'all jump on me for trying to add something to the scripture, because I'm not adding, I'm just observing. And Mm -hmm. it's about Peter, because you kind of got a three-act play with Peter. In Act 1, you have Peter uh, sitting around with the Romans while Jesus is being beaten and interrogated. And Peter is saying, I don't know the man. It starts cussing so bad that the Romans are saying, hey, man, you need to tone it down. There's children around. Stop talking like that. You know, you're not from Detroit. You know, settle down. <laughs> and and so and, you know, all the people that follow Jesus kind of looking at him like, for real, it's, it's like that. You don't even know him now. Mm-hmm. So he totally embarrasses himself, totally betrays the Lord, and the rooster crows three times, and he remembered that Jesus predicted it. That's mm-hmm. Act One. Mm-hmm. Act Three is in the upper room with the disciples, uh, hiding. You know, they had gone into. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if hiding is the right word, but they were apart from everybody in the upper room together. And the women come from the tomb saying that the tomb is empty and Peter is there with them. Act two is the part that's not documented. And act two, some kind of way, Peter, in his embarrassed state, dragged himself up those steps, knocked on the door to the upper room. They opened the door and the people in the church opened the door, saw the embarrassed Peter standing there that had totally acted a fool, totally... uh, embarrassed and, and, and humiliated himself, 
And they had to decide whether to let him in or not. Hmm. A lot of churches would have said, oh, you know us now? I don't think so. Where are your Roman buddies you were out there cussing with? You know, you need to go mm-hmm. back and start on the fire with the guys that crucified our Lord. There would have mm-hmm. been a whole lot of reasons why they would have said they weren't going to let him in. Yeah. And they let him in, despite what he did, despite what he had gone through. And my theory is the reason they did it is because they were up in that room praying and thinking about everything that Jesus had said. And one of the last things he said Uh, In John chapter 14 through 16 is his last supper, his last private time with his disciples. And he said, they're going to know that you are my followers by how you love one another. Said it over and over over again. John Mm -hmm. chapter 17, he prays for them. John chapter 18, it goes down in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're thinking about the last time he spoke to them. And he said, you got to love each other. That's the only way that people will know. That's our DNA is to love each other. So they didn't have a choice when Peter knocked on that door. Mm-hmm. They had to reach out and 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 embrace him. Yeah. And my question is, how are we embracing each other now? What this test? We I know you're a professor. You give tests to students. We had a test the last three years of how we're embracing people, how we're loving people, what our DNA is about, and did we pass or fail? Are there opportunities to grow? Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's, oh, wow. That's so interesting. I, I just posed that question between, um, conversation between Jesus and Peter about who do you say I am, um, just earlier this week at, of this recording. <laughs> that is, I, yeah, I had just posed that question to um, a group of people as well. Um, who do you say that I am? That is so interesting, Dr. Lyles. And, and even, Wow, I would have to really sit with that one because um, you're not adding to. But yeah, you do give us something to think about for sure. When you when we talk about relationship, because definitely we know relationally, um, we know that healthy, self safe relationships can be soothing and regulating for people's even nervous systems. So you being a medical doctor, even understand the importance of how good relationships even help our physical bodies. Um, Beyond the relationship, the church really having to ask themselves the question in terms of, okay, how are we embracing each other? How even, um, so if we factor in, we know healthy relationships help people mentally and emotionally and spiritually for that matter. Um, and to kind of add another layer to that, when we're talking about this relationship, how we are embracing each other, how also would you think about and even advise churches when we're talking about um, how to encompass like mental health, how to just make it a part of the culture, you know, of the church? What would you say about that? I think it starts in the pulpit. Uh, mm-hmm. by being honest about life experiences. I'm going to tell you something. Er, er, everybody's got something. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going through something. Uh, that The last thing Jesus said at the end of John chapter 16 is, uh, these things I've spoken to you that you might have peace because in this world, you will not might, you will have trials and tribulation. Everybody's got something they're going through but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. People need to, uh, there needs to be modeling of talking about what you've gone through and mm-hmm. how God brought you through. It needs to be 
normalized that people go through struggle because there's nobody, nobody in the Bible that didn't. All mm -hmm. the prophets struggled. In fact, I'm in a Bible study at the beginning of which we're studying major minor prophets. And the guy said, again, the life of a prophet was hard. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeremiah right now, Jeremiah was told you can't get married and have kids because this is about to go down here and you're going to have to be lonely because these people are getting ready to go into captivity and I don't want you to have a family to worry about. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They can't live alone. Yeah. Uh, everybody's going through something, but we don't talk about it. You put on the front. Everybody's good. I, I'll tell you, I, I got to tell you a story. I got to tell mm -hmm. you a story. Mm -hmm. I had a patient I was seeing um that came in my office and she said that she wished that she was like uh the woman that led her small group bible study uh because she said that woman got it together she said you know i'm I, i'm depressed a lot i'm anxious i'm worried my kids are bad my husband and i don't always get along but she's not like that her kids are perfect her hair is perfect her house is always straight her husband is wonderful. They don't have any financial problems. She never deals with depression or anything like that. And I wish I was like my small group Bible study leader and started crying, saying that she thought she was a second, second class Christian because she was not like her small group Bible study leader. And she just wished that she could. And she was weeping to the point of trembling about it. I had to settle her down because I had to see my next patient. And mm -hmm. I was already running late, you know, when mm -hmm. you're private practice you know you kind of on a little bit of a schedule so I had to calm yes. her down and and she got it together she walked out my office I opened the door to go into my lobby um and she starts screaming oh my lord oh my lord oh my lord. I said what is wrong I just got you calmed down what is wrong now <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and she points to my next patient and goes there she is that's the woman I was telling you about. My next patient was her small group Bible study leader. Oh, my goodness. And I'm here to tell you, the, the woman that she described to me and the woman that I knew were two totally different people. Mm. And that's two. Now, that's the lesson for the church. There's two tragedies there. One was that this woman was comparing herself with somebody else and was mm -hmm. doing that because she felt that she was weird and odd and that nobody else had gone through what she was going through. That's the mm -hmm. trap. Somebody's that isolated. They have to come tell me stuff they should have been able to tell people at her church. Okay. Yeah. She didn't feel comfortable being real with them. Had to come pay me to tell me stuff that she should have been able to talk about, pray about, get supported about at her church. That's tragedy number one. Mm -hmm. Tragedy number two is that her small group Bible leader was fronting like that. Was mm -hmm. put on this holier than thou. I got it all together front when she did not. Mm -hmm. And she and I had to have, because she was like all embarrassed about what happened. And I said, uh, why do you think that woman acted like that? Mm -hmm. I said, and uh, she told me, she says, um, what, what does she say about me? I said, well, I'm not at liberty to tell you, but what she said about you and what you said about you are very, very different. Mm -hmm. Aren't you mm -hmm. telling them the truth as a leader? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She said, if they knew that I struggled with depression, they wouldn't let me lead a Bible study at my church. Mm -hmm. I said, why don't you tell the truth and leave the results to God? She went back to church and told her 40 women Bible study about how uh, she had dealt with depression, that sometimes she didn't want to take a shower, uh, that you know she had trouble uh, being a mother to her kids. 
and that God had brought her through some of that and that she was still in the process of growing and developing. Eight of the 40 women in her class came up to her after class, hugging on her, crying, saying, we relate to what you just said. We've been through that too. Now we can really study the Bible together. Mm. Really study the Bible now. Yeah. Because we are really fellows in the same ship. Wow. And that's how God gets glorified. You see, to me, God being glorified and magnified is that we show other people what God is like. We magnify. It's like a magnifying glass as to what God is like. And a lot of times that magnification occurs through struggle, through mm -hmm. difficulty, through suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And God takes us through that and magnifies who he is, what mm -hmm. he's about, what his character is about when we suffer. But in churches, if we never talk about that, if the only time we talk about suffering is when somebody is sick, which is usually the only safe thing that people talk about in churches, uh, then we miss out on all that glorification of God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 My goodness. I know you're familiar with spiritual bypassing. Um, you know, those of us who practice at those intersections of faith and mental health, um, it's so easy <laughs> for um, spiritual bypassing to take place and for people to not be able to make that distinction because they think that this is what we're supposed to do in church. You know, like we're supposed to tell people, well, pray about it and we're supposed to like apply scriptures and all of the things. Um, but what we are trying to help people to understand is that yes, that and also to open up the space to allow people to emotionally and cognitively process and express like the the hard parts of life, the crappy parts, even, you know, the parts that just totally suck. I mean, I've had clients to just say that, like, am I okay to say that this sucks? And I'm like, well, if you don't say it, I'll say it for you because yeah, this, this is really a sucky part of life. And um, yeah. So just that whole act of spiritual bypassing and helping people to understand how even spiritualizing can become a defense mechanism all um, mm -hmm. in it, of itself. And trying to help people to understand. And that's been a hard one I have found for some people to understand the difference between that, where they are saying, but you know, I, I know what you're saying, but it's almost like this dogmatic stance, <laughs> you know, like, no, we're going to apply the scripture. We're going to pray. And I'm thinking, yeah. And to the point where you're saying, this is where a lot of people just feel like there's not space to best and share the hard things in their lives because it's going to be immediately met with you know a prayer or um a, a scripture i dr allison cook is a, a dear friend um brilliant psychologist and i think she shared about um a situation that she was having going on and um she was in a conversation with andy cober and they were talking about how there was a person who, um, you know, had trauma, a tragedy that had occurred and, and, and um, people were talking about praying or, you know, reading the scripture and it just was not, it, it actually 
activated the person like all the more, you know, as opposed to it kind of having the calming nature that it did. And I was just wondering, would you just speak to that a little bit so people can even understand that just from even a physiological standpoint of how it is that we are just trying to get people's you know, like bodies calm down and then we can apply those things. And, and again, not just kind of rush to doing the spiritualizing. Can you just explain that a little bit? Because I'm wondering, would that just be helpful for people to understand that? I remember one time going on a mission trip and uh, they wanted to preach the gospel to some people in a very poor country and um, in another part of the world. And they said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to bring food because where we're going is people, protein is rare. And they don't have food. And they're not mm -hmm. going to listen to the gospel if you don't meet their physical need. Mm -hmm. And people are going through emotional hunger. Uh, they don't need somebody to start off with, this is what it says in the book of John. They may need to start off with somebody listening to them, somebody validating their feelings. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this. you do feel this way. It is legit. This trauma that happened to you, uh, it did happen. It did hurt. Uh, and it, and the way you're feeling makes a lot of sense. Now, let's kind of, you know, walk through because getting well is usually, I'm, I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay. I'm going to tell you a secret to you and your people in your podcast. Mm -hmm. People get better little by little. That's one thing I've learned over these years. I, when I was a young Christian, I thought that people going through difficulty and trauma just got better instantaneously and everything, all their pain and suffering went away, you know, boom, like that. Yeah. Uh, that's not how people get well. People mm -hmm. get well little by little. It's a journey. It's a walk. Uh, you read Psalms and you'll see David went through a whole lot of stuff and, and he was real. He was raw in terms mm -hmm. of what we're talking about. Thank mm -hmm. God for the chief musician that was there listening to him and writing it all down so he wasn't doing it by himself and setting it to music so that he had a way to express it. And he would always say, I'm going through all this. I feel like I'm, I don't know if I can make it another step. But God, that's mm -hmm. when it was, it, but God came in. There mm -hmm. is a need to, to be informed by spiritual disciplines, but it's in the context of real emotional expression, a, a real look at the situation and what caused it and what might need to be different and not just jump to memorize a particular scripture and say it 10 times and you're going to feel better. <laughs> okay that's right that's right wow yeah wow thank you so much for sharing that that's that's really helpful i, I hope you know people can kind of understand that uh, not to suggest that no one does but you know that can be a, a dicey thing when it comes to church and and um spiritualizing being kind of our way, if you will, um, as we, you know, kind of prepare to close out the conversation here, I, I am just wondering um, for the person that might be listening or even for the, the, the church leader who may be listening. Um, and you talked about some of this starting in the pulpit, you know, by being able to be real about what's happening, the sufferings, um, the experiences that people are living day in and day out. Um, because it, it, it seems like, and, and I've heard a couple of colleagues talk about this as well, where in this day of kind of social media, you know, now it, it feels as though you have the, um, the, the trauma informed kind of pastor, you know, who now is kind of taking on that role of not only just kind of pastor, but also kind of psychologist or, you know, therapist. And it, 
you know, there are kind of mixed opinions on that. And I'm not going to, you know, tease that out here. But what I'm wondering is if you have that going on, and I'm, I'm glad about the fact that, you know, you have, as you're saying, someone in the pulpit that is talking about like kind of the real things and saying like, well, let me keep it real for you. Um, and also, where do you still see that there is a need for um, like clinicians um, such as ourselves or other people to still work in and work with churches? Where would you kind of say that, see that? I think the parable of the Good Samaritan informs us about this because the Good Samaritan identified the real needs of the guy laying by the street and did what he could, but he mm -hmm. recognized he needed to partner with somebody else, the innkeeper that had a skill set that he did not have uh, that would help him to minister to the needs of the person that was half dead. And see, mm -hmm. most of my patients are half dead. They've been beat up by life. They've been beat up by trauma, abuse, mm -hmm. neglect. And when you're, you know, half dead is really bad because you're alive enough to realize people are passing you by. You're alive enough to feel the pain, uh, mm -hmm. but you're too dead to help yourself without some help from somebody else. You mm -hmm. need somebody else to help you help yourself. And sometimes that takes a team. The Good Samaritan recognized that took a team of people who had different skill sets. And I had, I remember one of the churches I visited, the pastor talked about how his dad was an alcoholic and how that affected how he viewed his marriage. Mm. I thought that was wonderful because all the people in the audience that had alcoholic, that were adult children of alcoholics just got validated. That That's yes, right. grew up with affected how you look at things now. That's right. Stop with that. That's a good starting place. And then you make that journey into what does God have to say about this real part of your life? And does mm -hmm. that mean you need to see a therapist or a counselor? Does that mean that you've gotten so depressed that maybe you need to be on medication? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. at least it starts a process of looking at what kind of innkeeper you need to yeah. be part of that process. And by the way, the Good Samaritan came back. He didn't just take him to the innkeeper and drop him off and say, bye, y'all. Mm -hmm. uh, he had some skin in the game. He kept involved in that person's life. That's right. Wow. Mm. Discipleship, would you say? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's exactly. what they call that, discipleship. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Dr. Lyles, it's always um, such a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. And I could just talk forever and just go on forever. But I am so appreciative of what you have shared with us on today. And so I want to give you an opportunity before we do close out. Is there anything else that's just kind of coming to your heart, to your mind that you just want to share before we just end the conversation? I would encourage your listeners uh, to about five minutes every day because of this pandemic, instead of thinking about everything that went wrong, think about something that's going right. Uh, gratitude. To mm -hmm. pray a prayer of gratitude every day because mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's going on. Somebody told me yesterday, the world's going crazy. She was talking about Ukraine and the wars and what's going on in this country with all the division. And she said, there's so much I can't control and it's making me crazy. I said, think about where you can have an impact and be grateful for what God has given you because your power begins on your knees with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And then pray for God to help you to touch one person that day in a way that glorifies and magnifies him. Yeah. 
Amen and amen and amen. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And for the scientific buffs out there, um, that's validated through the research too. So <laughs> yes. It is. So yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Laos. I am so, so appreciative of you. Um, as always, I'm I'm grateful for your mentorship for me in my life. Um, God, I just truly, truly believe. Um, that in part the clinician I am has been due to you and your insights and wisdom and teachings and everything that I've had the opportunity to hear, you know, over the years with you. So I'm just so appreciative of you. My pleasure. For you. Um, so thank you so much. Um, you don't do social media. Right. So you don't have it. I was going to say like, is there any way you want people to follow you? I didn't think that you did that. So <laughs> sorry, y'all. Not yet. I have a young admin that wants to get me all out there as an influencer. I said, what's that? <laughs> Remember, I've been doing this 39 years, so I got a lot of gray hair. They can't see yes. that. <laughs> we need you, Dr. Lyles. We need you. We need your influence for sure. So I'm hoping your admin will get you out there. And if they do, y'all, I'll let you know where to follow Dr. Lyles. But um, again, Dr. Lyles, thank you so much for being right. here being a part and to our listeners y'all have been blessed i know you have there's no need to even ask so thank you all so much for tuning in and you have heard dr lyle's call i'm not even going to touch it because it's just been beautifully and eloquently spoken so i just ask you what will be your response and the church said 